Well, welcome to week two of this series we're calling About That Life. A lot of people spend time navigating life between the real and the ideal. There's an ideal life, and then we see that, and we want it, and we try and chase it like, you know, January 1, going to save a bunch of money, going to lose weight, going to make new friendships, going to finish that course on, you know, making goals, going to save a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching to Geico. I'm going to do all kinds of stuff, and then we kind of drift, and we've got an ideal life and a real life, and we launched this series with a key scripture in mind uh, in the book of Ephesians, but really we want to be not just about that life that somebody's chasing in your neighborhood, about that life that you thought life should be about, but what kind of life, what kind of ideal life does God invite us into? He doesn't force it on anybody, but he invites you into this kind of life. Paul describes it in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. He says, God wants us to grow up, so like no prolonged infancies, it's time to grow up, to know the whole truth, not half truth, not some of the truth, not truth that works for us, Many times people want to serve a God that the truth God speaks, it, it, it makes sense to them. Uh, and so they want to craft God around what they think makes sense versus us crafting our life around what God says makes sense. We know the truth and we tell it in love. Way too long the church has been known for what they're against and not what they're for. And like being just plain old mean to people. That not ought to be the church. We ought to know the truth and we ought to tell it in love and like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. And so I insist, Paul says, and look, God backs me up on it, that there be no going along with the crowd. Truth is this, show me your five closest friends, I will show you a picture of your future. Five closest friends to you, uh, living a lazadaisical life, no real goals, no real focus, if you hang out with them long enough, you will become like them. It just is what it is. No going along with the crowd. We become a lot of who we hang out with, especially the empty-headed, mindless crowd. That's no life for you. We don't want to be about that life. Instead, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned, God-formed life. A life renewed, not from the outside in, where you start to change the way you look and do certain things in order to uh, uh, appease an angry God who's got his arms crossed with you and, and tapping his foot, you know, just waiting for you to get things right and your spiritual ducks in a row. No, he works on us from the inside out. And the more we connect that way, it works itself into our conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in us. And this is what Paul says, this is what God says, and man, this is what I want for you. I, this is what I want for Timber Creek. It's what I want for you and your children, that we would be living a God-fashioned life. And anything that, 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 does, that we see, that, that when you compare it, when you put the mirror of the word up and, and it doesn't quite look the same, that we would just, we would simply investigate that and say, okay, God, how do I, how do I, how do, I do this then? How do I live the life that you've called me to live? So that was week one, and that's our key scripture throughout this series. Uh, but now, beyond what we individually are called to do, the kind of life we're called to live, what kind of life, when those individuals get together and form a church, a body of Christ like this, what should the church be about? I know that the church that maybe you 
have gone to in the past or you thought church was like or that maybe the church you saw uh, represented on television. Like may maybe you had different understandings or, or perspectives on what the church is. But what, what does the word of God say that the church should be doing? If we were to talk about our own lives, living the dream that God has for us last week, today we're going to be talking about, about, that, about that Timber Creek life. Living the Timber Creek life. So if you're a guest and you're dipping your toe in the water, you don't have to do a thing I talk about today. But if you're going to begin to follow Christ, you can't opt out of these. Like they're non-negotiable for those that want to, they want to invite Jesus to be the center of their lives and really truly be a Christ follower. Not just know the name Jesus, but follow in his footsteps. Then the things I want to talk about today are what Timber Creek should be about or is what every individual Christ follower should be about. So to kind of get us all on the same page, you can download the app at Timber Creek Church app on uh, iPhone or, or the other uh, secondary not as good things as the iPhone. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And, and, and then, and then uh, you can download the app. You can go to messages and you can do the fill in the blanks right there and then send them to yourselves. Or there on your worship guide on the back page is our blanks. And we do that so you not just hear it, but you can write and it helps you process a little bit more. Kind of drill a little bit deeper and kind of hanging on to those things. So let me just give you kind of the groundwork. Let me set up the foundation of what we're going to talk about today by giving you just a couple of key concepts about Timber Creek. Number one, it is God's will for our church to grow. It is God's will for the church to grow, to not stay where it is, but to grow. You see in the book of Acts 18, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. It's one thing to be strengthened in your faith or your knowledge of God and just kind of stay, hey, us three, let it be. Us four, no more. Us two, it'll do. We, we got to be about growing. Oh, I heard that before. Church is all about numbers. It's just, it's just about numbers. You know? It's just about growing. You don't care about like going deeper. You just want to go wider. That's not even what I'm saying. I mean, how many families have you heard, well, we're not really about the numbers. How many kids do you have? Anywhere from two to five. I got two to five children. I don't know about the third and the fourth one. I, they're somewhere around there. They went into the forest a couple weeks ago. I don't know where they are. I don't know. You, you, you care about numbers. You get on a scale for crying out loud. You care about numbers. God cares about numbers. In fact, in the word, he says he's numbered every hair on your head. Like that, that's how detailed he is. And so we care about people connecting to God through the local church because there are some things he said for us to be about. And we can't just be faithful, like just grow in faith. We also want to be fruitful. So it's one thing to be faithful. It's another thing to be fruitful. And until heaven is full, growth really isn't an option for us. Number two. We're going to be the best we we can be. There's a whole lot of restaurants out there. That restaurant needs to be that restaurant. This restaurant needs to be this restaurant. When this restaurant tries to be that restaurant, they just need to be them. We need to be us. And you may have come from a church that they did it differently or it didn't look like that or they did this or they did this more or they did this program and we don't do this program and why wouldn't you do that program because we did that program and we were all, it was incredible. People just were crying and it was awesome. Like we got to be the best we, we can be. And when you try and compare yourself to your, your uncle, your aunt, your grandpa, your grandma when it comes to church or when it comes to even their life, comparison will still your joy. In fact, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt said it like this, comparison is the thief of joy. 
Uh, so when we try and compare ourselves to others, even as a church, it kind of steals the joy of our unique DNA. And God's called us to be uh, the church, but to be unique in who we are. And then number three, we can get better. We have so many places where we can, we can get better as a church. And you know what? As you are strengthened in your next steps, as you get stronger, the church gets stronger. As, as you grow in Christ-like conduct and character and conviction, the church grows. As, as you invite people to come to the table and experience a, 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 a hopefully unintimidating, no, no crazy sleight of hand experience on a Sunday morning, that, that we would get better together. Now, there are a lot of churches that are trying to, to do, including us, we've been there, a lot of good things. But we don't want to just do a lot of good things. We want to do the God things. Proverbs 29 says it like this. You know, if people can't see what God is doing, they end up stumbling all over themselves. That, that's, what, that's why someone who, who doesn't truly know God that clarity that God brings in our lives, we tend to try and find it in a lot of other places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. And if we can't see what God is doing, we tend to stumble all over our next relationship. We stumble all over finances. We stumble all over the marriage. We when we can't see what God is doing, and the truth is God is terrible at hide and seek. He doesn't want to hide from you. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. That, that, that's what he's wanting to be found. And And... We stumble when we can't see what he's doing. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. So what's the key of this scripture? You and I need to try and see what God has revealed and do that stuff. What God has revealed, we need to do that stuff. Not, well, I just, I think this is a good idea. I think this, we ought to maybe live our life doing this. If you and I will live our lives... Following after what God has already veal, revealed, that is the blessed life. So there's a lot of things you could do that are good things, but that aren't God things. In fact, D.L. Moody, famous, uh, famous author and preacher, he said it like this. Our greatest fear shouldn't be of failure. A lot of people are afraid of failure. But our greatest fear should be of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. So we spend our lives trying to do that thing and that thing at the end of the day, just like you became the best at something that didn't really matter. So if we're going to be the best at what really matters, I invite you, I want to suggest to you that what really matters is what God has revealed to us, what he thinks matters. And there are really core four realities that God has revealed in his scripture, all throughout scripture. I'm going to show it to you in several different ways. I invite you to, there's not all these fill in the blanks. You'd be looking at all those blanks. If I gave you all those blanks, you'd be saying blankety blank. We got way too many blanks in here. I'm only giving you 23 blanks today. You would have had like 70. So I invite you just to make some scribble notes around, but I'm going to show you all through scripture today. For the rest of the time we have, kind of, this is what God says for us as the church to be about. And as simply as I can say it, here are the core four in kind of uh, layman terms. And then we're going to look at that in some scripture. Check this out. So the, the, the core four, number one is this, that lost people would be saved. In, in other words, that, that people that can't see what God is doing, they begin to see what God is doing. And they come to an acknowledgement that, that we need 
Jesus in our lives that connect, who connects us to God. That, that, that we'd be saved from ourselves, saved from the pattern of life that from Genesis to Revelation, we want to live and have me as God. We want to be on the throne of our own lives. And when we surrender and we follow versus trying to lead as our own God, that's like the key of all of Scripture, that, that people far from God would find God. The next one is this, that those saved people would be pastored, shepherded, guided, encouraged, challenged, that they, that they would be led somewhere. That those pastored people would be trained. That beyond just being pastored and just kind of going to church, that we would be trained for something. You don't, you don't train for something you never do. If, if you do, then that's just like a waste of time. But if you're training, you're prepared to go do something. So lost people saved, saved people pastor, pastor people trained. And then number four, trained people mobilized. So it's one thing to be trained. It's another thing to be mobilized. If you know CPR and someone's, you know, choking on a cert in the lobby, it's one thing to be trained. I know CPR. It's another thing to like, you know, Heimlich the dude. I became a lifeguard my senior year of high school and was going through the CPR training for being a lifeguard. And I was telling my parents all about it. We were sitting down at table. I was telling them, I was like, actually, you know, this is the universal sign of choking. They said, oh, really, really? And I kid you not, I'm not making this up. A few minutes later, I start choking on a piece of meat. I never had a medium rare steak until after college. My mom, everything was well done. It was like a, you know, it was like a brick. And I'm choking on a piece of brick steak, you know, and I'm choking on the steak and I'm pounding my head on the, uh, on my hand on the table, like this. And my mom, I don't know if it's sarcasm or wisdom or just mean. She goes, "Are you choking?" And I'm, like, and I'm getting up at the table. She goes. Are you, are you sure? And I'm, finally, I spit it up. It hits the wall. I said, yes, I was choking. And my mom said, you didn't give us the universal sign. You didn't give us the sign, son. It's one thing to be trained. And, you know, churches, they do a, they, they, listen, listen to me close. Listen, listen to me. A lot of Christians are educated beyond their obedience. So they know what the Bible says, but they don't do what the Bible says do. That's a shame. That's a mess. What? Come on now. That's so good. We are educated beyond our obedience. And so not only do we need to train, we got to like do, be mobilized. In fact, you may want to write this down. The mobilized church is the hope of the world. Not just the church, but the mobilized, moving church. It's why we've... Invited you to join the movement, taking next steps. The mobilized church is the hope of the world. Now, I'm going to show you those things. Lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people trained, and trained people mobilized. In a few different places within the 66 books of the word of God. Let's start with Exodus. Exodus chapter 6. God says to Moses, who has this experience, this supernatural moment with God where God speaks to him to go and, and be the catalyst to release the Israelites out of bondage underneath the tyrannical rule of Pharaoh. They've been spending their lives building bricks, and he says, you got more purpose than building bricks. You got a better life beyond slavery. There's something more for you. And this is what God says. says 
Moses say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord, and I want to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to free you from being slaves to them. And I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Then I'm going to take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know. Like, and then and only then, when you see those core things, will you really know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So, in other words, when we see these core four, we see lost people saved. Well, that's, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you out from where you are, and I'm going to save you. When we say save people pastored, he says, I'm going to free you. In other words, not only are you saved out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, but you know that the, the, the Israelites, when they got freed from Egypt, they still had a lot of Egypt in them. They were out of Egypt, but the Egypt wasn't out of them. They had customs and habits and hang-ups and attitudes and actions and convictions and character that didn't line up with God. It lined up as a person who's been in slavery. And he says, I'm going to free you from that. So I'm going to bring you out, and then I'm going to guide you. I'm going to pastor you into the free life. Pastor people train, well, that's I will redeem you. There's an exchange happening where we're trained beyond who we are to who we can become. And I'm going to take you as my own people. Well, that's getting together for the purpose of doing something for God. And even to this day, the, the Jewish culture that celebrates Passover meal... There are 13 different steps in that meal. Four of the 13 are where they take a, a cup of wine and they quote that scripture. And they say, he is the Lord, he will bring us out. And they drink that promise. That cup represents that promise. I'm going to bring you out. They take, in a later, they take the, I'm going to free you. They drink that cup. I'll redeem you. And then I'll take you as my people. And it's like, it's like a cup of prayer, like hallelujah. Well, if you've had four cups of wine, you're going to say hallelujah. You know what I mean? So these are the four core promises, and you see them right there in Exodus. But don't stop there. Maybe say, well, that's pretty coincidental, but I don't know. Is that all we're really, are those really the core four? Well, let's take another look at a scripture that when Jesus is on the scene in the flesh, he goes to the temple, he looks at all the scrolls, he pulls out the scroll from Isaiah that was written a few hundred years earlier. He rolls it out, and then towards the bottom of that scroll, he reads these words. And after he reads these words, he says, Today, this scripture that was written hundreds of years ago is fulfilled today through me. And they flipped out on him. They didn't like him. They, they chased him out. They were going to stone him. Because he was, they thought, man, you're being blasphemous. Who do you think you are? But here is what the scripture that Jesus read in that moment. From hundreds of years ago in the book of Isaiah, we see it here. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, this is not poor in pocketbook. This is poor in spirit because all of these have to do with more of a spiritual reality than a physical reality. Proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. He, he, is, he has called me to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of... That crown of ashes, the oil of joy instead of like oil of mourning. That You see that exchange there? And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Isaiah goes on to say, they'll be called oaks of righteousness. Like strong charter oaks. 
a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated to, for generations. So let's look at these core four. We just read, I'm going to bring you out, free you, redeem you, and take you as my people. Isaiah doesn't say it that way, but here's how he says these core four. He says, I'm going to proclaim the good news, bring you out. I'm going to free you, freedom from darkness. Redeem you, I'm going to bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The, the joy instead of despair. Take you as my own people, he says, we're going to rebuild, restore, renew others. We're going to look beyond ourselves. These are all for us. And then we're designed to then do this. Even sociologists and psychologists, for years and years and years, they followed the idea that the key... The key uh, uh, final place for hum humanity was self-actualization. Abraham Maslow, that, the, the, that you have all these other needs, food and shelter and clothing and relationship, but that self-actualization, you knowing who you are, was the key. But about 25 years ago, they changed that. They added a, the, another one, that it's not enough for you to feel like you have arrived the highest need that even sociologists that, that don't use the word of God as the moral compass for their lives, they say that transcendence is the key to humanity. Transcendence meaning I live beyond myself for my kids, my grandkids. I leave a legacy. I live a heritage. And that's what the core four is all about. Maslow, had he looked over in here and, you know, over here in Isaiah, over here, uh, you go back. Over there, he would have seen, proclaim good news, freedom from darkness, bestow a crown of beauty. That's all self-actualization from Christ. And then we do other things for others. That's where we are. Let's look at Matthew 28. Jesus, in his own words, says to the disciples as he's about ready to send into heaven after his resurrection. He says, hey, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So let's look at these core four. Lost people saved, he's saying, hey, go make disciples. Saved people pastored, he's saying, baptize them. In other words, a baptismal, that's where you become, you become part of something beyond yourself. You, you, you are shepherded, you become part of the flock. He's saying, baptizing them, teaching them, that's, pastors, that's pastored people trained. And then trained people mobilized, that's go into all the world. Now, I could stop there, let's go to another one. Colossians chapter 1. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching. There's a difference between admonish and teach. Teach is to give that, that, that information, the skill set, to, to, give, to, to give knowledge. Admonish is to encourage, to, to, to warn, to urge, uh, to, uh, to counsel. We proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may be present, everyone fully mature in Christ. So what are the core four? We proclaim the good news. We admonish, encourage, counsel, pastor, people. We teach to maturity, to reach full potential. That's, that's the mobilization piece. Let's look one more place. Ephesians 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened 
I pray that, that, that in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his, his glory, inheritance, and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for you, power for us who believe. So the core four are, I want you to know him better, lost people saved. I want you to have your eyes of your heart enlightened. You are, are able to be urged, counseled, warned. You, you can see clearly what it is that he's calling you to do. He see the hope he has called you. That's the redemption. That's the exchange. That's the training to what he's called you, not to where you are. And then the inheritance. And then you're giving empowerment, not just to do these, but to invite other people along the journey. That's how the Bible says it. So at Timber Creek, we kind of have some Timber Creek street language. All right. Here's our street language at Timber Creek. And these are the core four. This is how we say them at Timber Creek, that we want everybody, everybody is designed to, number one, know God. We're designed to know God. You know, the Bible talks about even our spirits within us just, it cries out to God. You may not even think you want to know God, but there is something within all of us. We're designed to know him. And as a church, we are going to put all of our poker chips on this first step. You can't put all the poker chips on step three or step two because if you don't have people know God, how are they going to ever find freedom? People have been trying that for years. How are you really going to discover purpose unless you know the God that created your purpose? So we're going to say it right here, write it down. Our first responsibility is to the lost here. At Timber Creek, our first responsibility is not making you happy. At Timber Creek. And I don't say that in a brash, arrogant way. I say it in a way that we got to keep the core four in order. You don't train people and then help them to know God, right? And, I mean, that is what the church is known for. They're known for, like, telling people how wrong they are and how sick they are and how that lifestyle. Like, they don't even know God. What do you expect them to be? Like, Billy Graham? No. They're your drunk, pervert uncle. He doesn't know anything. And you're wanting to live like Jesus, and the guy's stoned out of his skull seven out of eight days. So you're not trying to fix him before he finds God. You, you, you know God, and then through that is when we go through a process. And so I want you to know that the way we design, the way I talk even on a Sunday morning we're trying to communicate in a way that's way beyond church people. Uh, the songs we sing, what I'm communicating, I mean, the truth is the truth, but we want to make it make sense, and, and here's why. Because inviting unchurched people to a life-giving church service is one of the most effective methods right now for people to know God. Because there's all kinds of opinions on Facebook. Lord have mercy. Everybody's Snapchatting about how to know God. You got the rapper who's... You know, killing people and thanking the Lord Jesus Christ for this Grammy I just received. And we're getting our cues from all kinds of other places. But I believe and we believe inviting an unchurched person to a life-giving church service where they walk in, they feel a little different. Like, what is it about these people? Like, these aren't that mean person that I met at church 15 years ago. You know, you got to wear clothes to church, number one. Wear clothes. But wear a smile. It's like part of the, it ought to be the uniform of a Christ follower. Like, you put that smile on. Everybody just smile. It feels better. 
I can tell my kids, you know, you're not, I'm not paying another dollar for V-Bucks for your Fortnite. You numbskull. I say it in a smile, and he's like, I don't, I don't get it. Are you, are you being kind to me right now? You're telling me no, but I'm trying to figure it out. Like, smile is part of the uniform. No God. No God. Look, in a couple weeks, you, you may have seen the banner out front. It says, win a car. Are you kidding me? Win a car. Come to church and win a car. Isn't that like for the game? Isn't that for like, you know, the casino over here? Well, win a car? What in the world have they lost their ever-loving mind at Timber Creek Church? Well, let me communicate this to you for just a second. Number one, we've got this big event coming up the September 8 and 9. Okay? <laughs> Woo! The screen changed. And here's what, here's what we're doing. On Sunday, September 9th is a big family event. But on the 8th, on Saturday... We've got some uh, DJs coming in and some cool stuff, I mean, great games and food. And we're just going to pre present the gospel message in a way that hopefully makes sense to teenagers. And we've done this before. And every year that we've done this, Pastor Seth, we've had dozens and dozens and dozens. Last year, how many? 250 kids that said, I want to know God. Like in one night, I want to know God. So... We said, hey, we want to get them here, but we also want to get their families on a Sunday morning. So on September 9th, we're inviting all those kids back to check out baptism, be baptized, and you know what? Bring your family, and you get entered in for a drawing to win a car. Now, that's crazy. It's the car out there. It's nuts. You say, oh, Pastor, don't you think, I mean, church giving away a car. That's a little... Oh, couldn't we give that to the poor? Can we do something like that? Well, I want to share something with you real quick. There's this woman in scripture who pours oil, expensive oil on Jesus' feet. And like Jesus accepts it, but there's a disciple in there and says, oh, pfft. she ought not do that. We could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. And here's what Jesus says, you're always going to have the poor. And you know who the disciple who said it? It wasn't John. It wasn't Thomas. It wasn't Bartholomew. It wasn't Andrew. It was Judas. It was Judas who said that. Like, when somebody heard that we were doing that, a couple of businessmen got together who get it, and they said, hey, we'll cover the cost of that car. We just love reaching more people. And if, if, if that'll just get people dark in the door, like, like they're just going to drive by day after day, week after week, month after month. I saw a Facebook message on our Timber Creek Church site that said, I've driven past your church for years, and I thought there's no way my family would ever fit in because we're a biracial couple, and we, we, we had a bad experience in church, but man, was I wrong. Well, they had to be invited, they had to be invited in because we were giving away just some backpacks for some people. And sure enough, through that little process, this family says, oh, wait a second. This church, like, is anyone can come to this church. Isn't that neat? Isn't that cool? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. So a couple of businessmen say, hey, we'll cover the cost of that car. Means more people exposed to the, the good news of Jesus. Wow. So listen, those guys are going all in. It, it, should everybody do what they do? No, that, that's them. But when we all do our part, it's amazing what God can do. I'm pumped about what's happening next.
I'm, I'm pumped about it. This last week, we had the largest attendance the church has ever had on an off-Easter and Christmas uh, holiday day with just under 2,000 people and 24 commitments to Christ. Um, people wanting to say, I want to know God more. Like taking that next step. 1,000 people signing up for getting groups and movement. And I mean, it's just, it's just nuts how God is moving. We want people to know God. It's our first responsibility. Let me, let me finish this point with this, with this thought. Jesus came with grace and truth. He didn't come with truth first. He came with the grace. He didn't, he didn't wait for us to get our ducks in a row before he gave us kindness. I said it on Wednesday night, connection before correction. We want to connect with this community before, they, they, before we're trying to correct anything in this community. We want to connect with you and your family before we're sitting here trying to correct. Connection, then correction. Dads, oh, my kids are going to do what I say, when I say, how I say. And if they don't like it when the train's coming through, they better get off the tracks. They may say that for a while. They may do what you say, but they will live how you lived when they're out of the home. They will live how you lived. So connecting brings the best correcting. All right, I'm done with that. Number two, find freedom. That's our street language. We want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom. Write this down. You know, we go to God for forgiveness of our sins. Men can't forgive our sins. But the Bible also says that we go to his people for healing. In other words, the Bible in James, the book of James, the author says, Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Not that you may be forgiven, because Jesus does the forgiving. But there's like something cathartic about talking out our issues with someone else who's on a journey. And we're able to share that. And it gets it out of the dark. And it illuminates it. And then we're able to walk. And we say it out loud. And then someone walks with us. We go to God's people for healing. That's how we really find freedom. There's not a single person in this church, including my wife and including me, that can name me my last five sermons. You can't do it. I can't even tell you what I preached the last five times. But you can name five people in your life that made an impact in your life. Because relationships are the way God designed us to move forward. That's why we're doing this movement. It's why we have groups and grow track and starting point, which is your very first step. Every single Sunday, starting point, four weeks, Week one is step one, week two is step two, week three is step three in the month. And you can jump in, and it's these core four that we help you know even deeper when you go through that process. Number three, discover purpose. We discover purpose. For a long time, churches have looked at the pastor, that the pastor would do the word, and pastor would, would, would be the minister, and, and we professionalized, we professionalized ministry. But really... The people are the ministers. The Bible's clear. I'm supposed to lead you to be ministers. I'm not, you know, well, pastor, you just, you know, you preach and you pray and you read and you just tell us what, you know, and then we'll do the leadership. We'll pay the bills and we'll do all that. Actually, it's flipped. It's not, that's not the way it works. Pastors do the leadership. The people do the ministry. And we, we all are to do ministry together. That's purpose. So that if you're, if, if, if you're working for UPS, you're not, you're not just flipping boxes you're not just delivering packages, but that if you are knowing Jesus and you're a UPS delivery driver, your job is to show people how Jesus would deliver boxes if he were, you know, asking what Brown can do for you. Like just by the kindness of the way you exemplify yourself, you represent more than UPS, you represent you. And so there's a discovery of purpose beyond your job that you're there to help people find Jesus 
know God, find freedom, discover their purpose so that you and I can make a difference. Make a difference for the kingdom of God. And here's what's happened in the church. You know, and you may be one of these people where you want to come in and you've got issues and you want the church to fix your issues. And you know what's happening is you're actually stuck in that kind of that, you know God, but you're looking for freedom and you can get stuck there. Most Christians kind of find themselves toggling between those. Where they want to do, but they got junk in their life and they need a true encounter with Jesus. And they need to have next steps on how to find true freedom. Next week, week three about that life, I'm going to talk about carry-on baggage carry-ons then instead of checking our bags there's some things we're carrying on and you can't be about that life if your hands are full of baggage we'll talk about how to unpack that next week but people are stuck here finding freedom and so they look for the church to solve a problem i need i got a problem i got a problem i got a problem i want you to write this down the church can't solve all your problems but the church can give you something bigger than your problems you, you, you can become a part of a people that are making a difference. I'm telling you, there's nothing that makes your problem look a little smaller, feel a little smaller, and be a little smaller than when you get exposed to helping people with their own problems. It's amazing what God does in your own problems. You're waiting for everything to be perfect in your marriage. <laughs> like, give me the secret, dude. So, well, when we get our marriage figured out, then we'll join a group. Look, you got to look beyond your own problems. And so that's really what it's all about. Those core four, all wrapped up in our vision, what we want to look like down the road. And we say it like this, that we want to create community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. That at the timber country of East Texas, there would be an oasis in the middle of people's hurting moments that receives them as they are, where they're okay not to be okay, but we're passionate about taking next steps to get better. Community destinations, that's why we've leased for a seven year with a 10 year option, 22,000 square foot of space over in Nacogdoches, our sister city. And we've demoed to the bones our next location in Nacogdoches. And we're gonna create the community destination. It's why we're having to swim through a little bit of, you know, bureaucratic peanut butter, if you will. Having to swim through the peanut butter with our next prison because there's a changeover in leadership and you got to do certain things a certain way. There's protocol. But man, the Duncan unit that sits right next to the Dieball Correctional Center, there's another 518 inmates in that prison. And we've already got the green light. We're, we're going to bring in church service on, uh, for them as well. That's creating a community destination. It might not have been a community destination those guys wanted to be at. I mean, I know none of you are like, man, I, I'm here. I know you didn't want to be there, but you know what? Die ball, listen to me, guys. Listen to me. Right where you are, you can do the core four. You can help lost people get saved and saved people be pastored and pastor people trained. So you can make a difference right where you are. It's for all of us. I finish with one more little scripture. This isn't showing the core four as far as statements, but it's the core four in action. In Mark chapter eight, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Notice some people, 
got out of their own daily grind and they saw someone who needed help and they brought them to Jesus. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. That's where some of your friends are. That's where some of you are. You need to get out beyond your own village. What you've known is life. What you've known is what's important and what's not. What's truth to you and what's truth to them. And I'm inviting you to step out of your own village. Let Jesus kind of guide you to kind of push away from where you have been thinking life should be about. And have a different perspective. So when Jesus spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now, now, (laughs) I just love that. It's so weird. That is so crazy, isn't it? That Jesus spits, another another scripture, same story, he spits in the dirt and makes mud and he puts it on his face. Like, man, just pray for me. Like, none of you want me to go to the hospital. And you're like, pastor, I'm having surgery tomorrow. Oh, let me pray with you. (laughs) Like, you know. Ain't nobody. Let me pray for you. No, 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 don't spit on him. No, I'm just following Jesus. Like, so Jesus spits in his eyes and says, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Now, here's a couple interesting thoughts. Number one, he didn't see clearly. Even though Jesus touched him, there was a progression. But also, he says, they look like trees walking around. Well, if he's been blind since birth, he, he, would he know what trees look like? No. Would he look, know what men look like? No. So this indicates that at one time maybe he could see, but he had become blind. And I think there are some that maybe you saw at one time, but life circumstances put you in a place where you just can't see clearly anymore. Jesus wants to touch you and have you see clearly again, but it's a process. And you need to go through a process of seeing clearly. In fact, the Bible says that once more, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Maybe you can think back to a time where Jesus was an integral part of your life, but you drifted. Me too. I've been there. And I want to invite the same Jesus that once again touched a blind man in the Bible. That same Jesus wants to once again touch your heart. Open your eyes. Help you see clearly the path that he has revealed. And he invites you to to not be bound to it, but with incredible freedom. Walk in those steps. And you know what? When we attend to what he reveals, we are most blessed. Would you pray with me? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads right where you are? Maybe you're here and this is your outside the village moment. Like this is your moment that you've kind of stepped beyond what your normal day of Sunday routine is. And this is a moment to say, you know what, Jeremy, I kind of want to, I'd like to know God better. I'd like to start a journey. I'm not inviting you to jump a chasm and get to where you need to go. It's little baby steps. It honestly is. But if you're here and you say, I want to, I want to begin to know God. I want to know Jesus and, and begin a process 
Would you help me? Would you, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you sign anything, stand up, do anything crazy. But, but I would invite you to acknowledge that need by just, when I, in just a moment, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. You say, Pastor, I, would you help me pray a prayer that would invite Jesus to help me see things that I don't see for myself? And if that's you, just right now, boldness, no hesitation. Just put a hand up in the air real quick and then put it down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, I did this one. I did this one time and then again and again growing up because I had drifted. Anybody else? Just real quick, real quick. Anybody else? I, will you pray for me, Pastor? Yeah, I'm going to guide you. It's not about what I could pray over you. It's about guiding you in the prayer. And in your own words, you raised your hand or maybe you didn't. That felt uncomfortable. That's okay. Jesus sees your heart before your hand. In your own words, you say, Jesus, thank you for being who you are, giving me next steps to follow. If you're the way, the truth, and the life, I want to I follow in that way. And so help me in my next steps. You are who you say you are, the Son of God. And thank you for not being mad at me. Thank you for giving me this moment to, to begin to follow you. Will you guide me as I surrender, like I decrease and you increase? I mean, I don't even know what's next, but will you help me? see clearly in Jesus name eyes closed heads bowed and you're here and you need a once again moment like you've been there but you need a, a once again moment with Jesus today like I've just kind of gotten busy with all kinds of things and I've not been about the things that God would want me to be about with honesty would you just put a hand up I need a once again moment this morning Jesus, help us to be about what you want us to be about, to follow in your footsteps. God, there are many ways that seem right to man, but at the end of the day, uh, you've invited us that there's one way, and it's through a relationship with your son, Jesus. And once again, Jesus, speak to us clearly so we would know you personally, find freedom from what's holding us back, Discover purpose beyond our nine to five and make a difference in this world with the truth of who you are. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Hey, would you put your hands together for those that said, hey, I need to um, make a decision today. That's awesome. We're going to end today with worship. Part of our worship is the receiving of our offerings. I'm going to invite you to not move where you are. We're not done quite yet, but I am going to ask you to stand where you are, but stay where you are. Stand, but stay. We're going to receive our offering, and we're going to sing this song together. And once the offering buckets are received, I'm going to dismiss you with a sending prayer. I'm going to pray over you, kind of a sending prayer for the week, for your job and for your family and for your kids and for school and for stuff coming up. I'm going to pray a sending prayer over you, okay? In the meantime, we're about ready to give. And God has been so good to us. This is one way we make a difference, by being faithful and giving. Maybe for you, your gift today is the Connect card that you filled out. Consider that your offering today. We, we, don't, we don't want anything from you today. We want everything for you, and we want to help you take a next step. For some of you, it's time to put God first and trust Him with your finances. 
as you do that, man, just trust God and pray over that. We, we're going to do more things. We're going to go further faster as you're faithful with giving. So let me pray over the offering. Lord, bless this offering in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you as you give. Would you sing these words with us? And then I'll dismiss you. why we say empty seats are a big deal it's one of our core values is because God really won't do much with an empty seat but if there's someone in that seat they can go through that process of knowing him and freedom and purpose and making a difference we are filling up this service there's a lot less empty seats in this service than there were a few months ago and I want to invite you that's awesome but I also want to invite you we have the exact same service happening at 9 30 and some of you could make a difference next week by saying, hey, you know what? We're going to get up a little early and we're going to bring our family to the 930 for a few weeks so that we can make more space for those that are coming into the 11 o'clock because that's usually when people that are new to the church are visiting the church. And so I want you to prayerfully consider just making a difference by opening up a seat uh, here by attending the 930 service. Sound good? Something to consider. Let me pray over you as we're dismissed. Father, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that they would be a little more like you in the way they handle people, in the way they receive feedback, in the way they love kids, in the way they do their job, that people would see Jesus through it. I pray that those that didn't have as much hope today, that they, that they leave holding on to hope. I pray that all of us would see the sphere of influence you put in front of us and that we would make a difference for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen. See you next Sunday, everybody.